is good to see each of you. And again, we welcome you. If you're visiting with us, especially, it encourages us that you're here. And we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. It's good to see everybody. It's wonderful to be able to start off the first of the week and worship to God and with a Christian family. It's an exciting time of the year as we think about Friends Day approaching this very next Sunday. Any time of the year is a wonderful time to invite friends to come and, and to see. But especially this is a time where everybody is focusing on that. There's two concepts that really you and I ought to try to master in our life all the time. But especially we ought to try to master these before next Sunday. That is, come and see and go and be. Now let's think about that for just a moment. When we think about coming and seeing, we know that Jesus was the one who taught us to do that. If you would be turning in your Bibles to John, the first chapter, let's look at a few times that individuals were brought to Jesus Christ, and the reason they were brought to Jesus Christ is because someone was so excited about Jesus that they simply went and told someone else, come and see. The very first one who did that was literally Jesus Christ himself. In John, the first chapter, we see that John the Baptist is talking to John and Andrew. And Jesus is approaching them. And John the Baptist says to them, Behold, the Lamb of God. What an awesome time that must have been in their lives to think that the Passover lamb had been celebrated year after year. It had been slain as the Passover had been celebrated. And now they're looking at the Lamb of God. And so they began to follow Jesus. And Jesus asked them what they were seeking. And they said, we want to know where you're staying. And notice as we read verse 39, he said to them, Come and see. After spending the afternoon with Jesus, they were so excited what they found. Andrew went and found his brother Peter. And he told him who he had found, the Messiah. And in other words, he told him, You need to come and see Peter. And, of course, we know that Peter did. Later, Jesus talks to Philip. And Philip is so excited that he has now found the Messiah. He goes to Nathanael, and he tells Nathanael, look in verse 46. And Nathanael said to him, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip said to him, Come and see. Isn't that wonderful? You see, at first, Nathanael had a little bit of doubt. He could not imagine in his mind that the Messiah would come out of Galilee instead of out of Judea. He couldn't, mind, he couldn't bear in his mind that maybe Jesus of Nazareth was truly the Messiah. Now, how did he prove it to him? Notice, he didn't sit down and begin trying to explain everything at that moment. He left it at this, just come and see. Friends, we may not know everything to say to our friends. We may not know everything to explain to them but you know what? If we can just get them to come and see Jesus, enough will be said. It always has been that way. Flip over in your Bible to John, the fourth chapter. In John, the fourth chapter, Jesus was visiting with the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. And at first, she addresses him as simply a Jewish man. But he shows her respect, so she calls him a sir. Then he begins to tell her things that it doesn't seem like anybody else could know, so she calls him a prophet. And by the time the conversation is over, she declares that he just may be the Christ. In other words, we would translate that, the Messiah. And she went about, and look in verse 29, what she did after she left Jesus. She went about the city, in verse 28, and she said to them, Verse 29, come, see a man who told me all things that ever I did. 
Could this be the Christ? And drop down 39. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told me all that I ever did. Friends, one of the concepts in the scriptures of spreading the gospel from the very beginning of Jesus' ministry has been the simple words, come and see. Can you imagine going around Samaria and seeing so many people that were then disciples of Jesus Christ? Say, how did you become a disciple of Jesus? Well, this lady came by and she simply told us, come and see. Come and see a man who told me things in my life that no one else could know. Friends, we can tell our neighbors that same thing. Come and see a man who's made a tremendous difference in my life. We can tell our neighbors that same thing. Come and see a man who can make tremendous changes in your life we can tell our neighbors the same thing. What kind of news do you share? You know, this past week, when we think of events that have happened in our world, when we think about Allie Vincent, you know, Tuesday night she was the first woman to win the world's biggest loser. She lost uh, 122 pounds. or uh, She lost 112 pounds, weighing finally 122 pounds, almost 47% of her body weight. Now, does it surprise you that if I remind you or either inform you of the fact that she was awarded that late on Tuesday evening and she got on a red-eye flight and flew to New York City staying up all night and then appeared on the Today Show to talk about her big news? No, that doesn't surprise us. You see, she had worked 8 to 10 hours a day exercising for the last several months. She was proud of the changes that had taken place in her life. She could talk for days right now of how her life is better and how now she's optimistic and now she has dreams that she hasn't had since she was a little girl. Why do you think she was willing to make that red-eye flight? She was glad to talk about the changes that had taken place in her life. Or also on Friday, Alton Logan made the national news you may have heard about Alton. He was in prison for 26 years, convicted to the death penalty of a crime that he did not commit. Almost everyone is now certain of that because you see the one who actually committed his crime that he was convicted of was Andrew Wilson. Andrew confessed to his lawyers before Alton even went to prison that he was the one that committed that crime. But you see, because of attorney-client privileges, they were not allowed to bear that news to anyone. It bothered the attorneys so much that over the past 26 years, they've asked several judges, several lawyers, and even the bar if they could reveal this information. And no one would allow them to reveal it. They had to keep it confidential until Mr. Wilson passed away. January, he passed away, and then the paperwork began to be in motion. And Friday, for the first time in 26 years, Alton Logan was able to step out of the bars and into freedom and will still have to wait for another hearing. Friends, can you imagine the people he may have called when he got home? Can you imagine the family that gathered around? Can you imagine him saying, I've got some news for you. You're not going to believe this. Let me tell you about the change that's now in my life. Number one, my name has been redeemed. I knew I wasn't guilty, but everybody else thought I was, but I want you to know I'm not. 
Also, did I mention to you I'm free now? I'm not behind bars any longer. Can you imagine how both of these stories this week, the air is full of, let me tell you about the changes. Friends, I want to ask you this morning, have you invited anybody to Friends Day? I know several of you have. I don't ask that in a pessimistic way. I'm simply asking it as factual. Have you invited anybody to Friends Day? And if you haven't, what if you would have won $250,000 this week as the biggest loser? Would you have mentioned it to anyone? What if you'd just gotten 26 years served and now this week on Friday you walk free? Would you have mentioned that to anyone? Could it be that we have forgotten the news that we carry. Do you believe that you have any news that would change someone's life? Friends, I believe that whenever we understand what we hold within our grasp of telling individuals about Jesus, come and see, that it will be natural for us to constantly constantly be giving invitations to individuals. Come and see a man that can change your life as he's changed mine. But you know, the come and see, if that alone is my idea of Christianity, I've missed the boat completely. Because the Lord has always taught a twofold concept in our lives. One is come and see, but the second is go and be. You see, the Lord expects you and I to be transformed once we have become a Christian. He expects us to be different. He expects for there to be real changes in our life. And so we go into the world and we live that life that has been changed. You know, we sometimes emphasize the wonderful aspect of individuals becoming missionaries. And you know, that principle is taught in the Scriptures. But have you ever thought about the fact that that word itself is not biblical? You don't find that word in the Bible. What you do find in the Bible are individuals that are children of God living a life wherever they go, they live the Christian life and invite others. So when Paul and Silas decided to go various places, they went telling people about Jesus and they lived the Christian life where they went. But friends, when they came home, they were just as much missionaries as when they were going because the whole idea of Christianity is not, I want to occasionally take a trip so I can fulfill the Great Commission. That's so foreign to the Scriptures. What the Scriptures teach is is that you and I go and be every day. We go into our homes and we be Christians. We go into our workplaces and we become and we show the example of Christianity. We go into our workplaces, we go into our communities, we go among our friends. We go and we be. And as we're doing that, yes, we can't help but give the message, come and see. One of the passages that kind of includes both of this, the idea of of why we say come and see, but also how we just grow into that person that go and be, we see that in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter. Verse 20, our text for this morning has already been capably read for us. I know that 
Uh, Matthew did a tremendous job teaching a devotional earlier this week. We appreciate so much his life and his service to God. As we look at this in 2 Corinthians, the fifth chapter, I'd like for you to notice, if we, let's drop back and read 10 and 11, and then skip down and read 14 and 15. And I'd like for you to notice the changes that have to take place in our life, but what that promotes. When we look at verse 10, we see that this, of course, is the 10th verse after the beginning of the chapter where he's talked about us dying. We're not going to stay in this physical tent forever. We're going to be changed. That's why we live by faith and we don't live by sight. And then he says in 10, For we must all, to truly appreciate how all this is tied together, I need to notice the word all as we read through here. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according that he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing therefore, in other words, now that we know everybody's going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ and have to give an account, knowing this, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul, why do you go out and you tell people, come and see? Why do you persuade them that they need to listen to Jesus? And he says, I see judgment day. And I see the fact that all individuals are going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Let's pause here for just a moment. It's not this twisted thinking that everybody that dies is going to heaven. Everybody that dies is going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment, and they will give an account to what they have done, whether good or bad. Now, maybe the Lord doesn't really mean this. No, He does, and that no doubt is why in verse 11, He ties back and said, knowing the terror of the Lord. Other translations would say, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul, how is it that you were so successful in helping people see their need to serve Jesus. Paul, you went about and you helped people find the greatest life on this earth and prepared them for eternity. Paul, how did you do it? And Paul said, listen, I was all about persuading men because I realized that everybody I know is going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. And it's not going to be some some fantasy field. Everybody hears, win, 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 well done. They're going to give an account for how they've lived. I want you to imagine your workplace. Everybody including you, everybody that you'll work with tomorrow will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Your family, everybody will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Your neighborhood, you just imagine if everybody in your neighborhood walked out in the middle of the street and you look up and down your street, everybody will stand before the Lord on the day of judgment. Paul says, I use that as motivation. That's why I persuade men. I recognize the responsibility of souls standing before the Lord on the day of judgment. Let's skip down now and let's read verse 14 and 15. There was a motive here of why he persuades. Verse 14, for the love of Christ compels us. That's a powerful word. The love of Christ 
compels us. It controls us. It constrains us. The love of Christ compels us because we judge this. That, notice the word all here. That if one died for all, that's Jesus dying for all, then all died. We'll come back to that. And he died for all that those who should who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You see, the first part that we read about, he says, I persuade men because of the terror of the Lord. I recognize the fact everybody, all, are going to stand on the day of judgment before the Lord. But he says, I also recognize this. All died. You see there at the end of 14, all died. He's talking about spiritual death there. Sin separates us from God. Us from God. Sin separates us. All die. Now, if we leave it right there, that's terrible news. We're all going to stand before the Lord on the day of judgment separated from God. But he says, no, no, wait. He says, let me tell you what really compels me to say something. What compels me is the good news. Jesus died for all. Friends, that's why he is compelled by Christ's love. Let me tell you about a Jesus that loves you so much that he can forgive you of your sins. He longs to forgive you of your sins. As a matter of fact, he died so that he can forgive you of your sins. So that everyone, all that stand on the day of judgment, everyone that lives their life no longer for themselves, verse 15, but they live it for the Lord, those are the individuals that will hear, well done, the good and faithful servant. And so when they give an account on the day of judgment, their list is going to be real short because their past sins have been forgiven. And what they're going to hear is, well done, thou good and faithful servant. There is no news that happened this past week that gets close to talking about compared to that news. There's nothing that has ever happened in your life outside that fact of Jesus that even comes close to talking about. Tomorrow when you begin a conversation at work and you talk about the weekend sports, you talk about the weather, I would like for you to just think, I'm talking about things so insignificant compared to what I could be mentioning. Because there's something so grand. It's changed my life, and it could change their life. The question is, will you persuade men because the love of Christ compels us to do so? You see, it's not just speaking the message, come and see, but it's also becoming that changed person. Go and be. Let's look at that in a couple of verses. Look with me, if you will, as we look now to verse 16, 17, 18, and 19. Beginning at 16, he says, Therefore, notice how he keeps linking what has been said with what he is about to say. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. We're going to come back to that. Notice that. We regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. And then in 17, he talks about us becoming a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. Then in 18, he talks about a new ministry. He says, now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And that comes about in 19 because we have been committed to us the word of reconciliation. Friends, as we go back to 16, it's interesting as he reveals to us, Paul does saying, look, now everything's changed in my life. The result of all of this is the fact that now I don't regard people the same as I used to regard them. Paul's saying, I used to see people as flesh. 
Now, I don't see them any longer as flesh. I know you have probably. Think back in your mind at a time that you've been around someone that maybe in some way was impaired. And at first, when you first visited with them, you continually noticed whatever it was that was impaired about them. But then, maybe after a few minutes or a few visits, you never even noticed that again. Recently in a gospel meeting in Martin, Tennessee, I I sat one night at supper, and I ate supper with one of the judges there in town, and he's blind. And when we first sat down, I didn't realize he was blind. And then when we began visiting, after a few minutes, I picked up on the fact that he was blind. And I can honestly tell you that within a matter of probably 30 seconds, I really didn't think about it again. Because he, he was, his conversation was so interesting. His background and stories that he could tell. And also the people that we knew in common that he talked about. You see, for just a moment... I saw him in the flesh. But then, after that moment, I no longer saw that aspect of his flesh. Do you see what Paul is saying here? He's saying, now that I'm a Christian, I no longer see anybody's flesh. I don't see their color. I don't see their race. I don't see their age. I don't see their gender. I don't see how much they have or how little they have. Well, Paul, what do you see? I see their soul. I see someone who I am persuaded and compelled by the love of Christ that they need Jesus. Faithful Jews back in his day even had a prayer that they would oftentimes pray that they thanked God that they were not a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. That's how prejudiced faithful Jews were against those individuals. Now we see Paul in the Scriptures converted... And do you think he, as a Christian, is going about looking and saying, now, wait a minute, are you a woman? Because I count you as a third-class citizen. Wait a minute, wait a minute, are you a Gentile? I don't have anything to do. Friends, his ministry backed up the fact that he no longer saw the flesh. Do you remember in Acts, the 16th chapter, he went in and he converted Lydia and so many other women? Do you remember when we read in Philemon, the whole little short book of Philemon is about a slave a runaway slave that Paul had converted that he counts as his own brother and is making his defense to Philemon to accept Onesimus back. You remember in Galatians, the second chapter, when Peter and Barnabas were eating with the Gentiles and there were some coming from James and when they saw those Jews coming, they quickly separated themselves. They didn't want to be seen with the Gentiles eating together. And you remember that it was Paul in front of everyone to their face, strongly rebuked them that they should not have treated the Gentiles in this way? A part of our transformation to go and be is to no longer see people. Oh, they're just a stranger. No, they're a soul. They're just a poor person. No, they're a soul. Oh, they're some of the elite. No, they are a soul. They're old friends. No, they're souls. They're new friends. They're souls. They're co-workers. They're souls. They're fellow students. They're souls. 
Friends, when we can say, I no longer see the flesh, but now I see souls, then we are that new creation we just read about. Then we've received the ministry of reconciliation to be brought back again. You know one aspect of the definition of reconcile? One aspect of it means to be made friends. Wouldn't that be an awesome goal for Friends Day to say, I want to help my friends be made friends with Jesus? That's what Friends Day is all about. That's what our ministry is about. Now we've said all that to draw this conclusion. Look with me, if you will, in verse 20. The text that's read, and notice all of this has led up. It's come and see, it's go and be. And this is the way he would say it in 20. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore, we beg, we pray you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Paul, what have you become? And Paul says, I'm an official representative of Jesus Christ. You see, he didn't say, I am a person that just goes about and I tell people good things about Jesus. He wasn't just a speaker for Jesus. He's saying, I have become a representative of Jesus. Friends, can I say that I'm an ambassador of Christ? I represent Christ at school. The way I act among my peers, I represent Christ. I represent Christ at, in my work. The way I conduct my business, the way I work with my coworkers, I represent Christ. Can I say that in every aspect of my life? Now notice, the reason we're wanting to represent Christ is, and to me this verse is so powerful when we break it down. Look at that second phrase in 20 again. As though God were pleading through us. As an ambassador, God is making a plea, but He has to use our mouth. Who is it this week that God will plead for their reconciliation with God? That's at the end of the verse. That's the plea. God is going to make that plea through our mouth. And then he even in the third phrase says that we implore you on Christ's behalf. I'm an official ambassador. God makes a lot of pleas through my mouth. I beg people on behalf of Jesus. What's all this about? I'm urging others to be reconciled with God. What a beautiful mission. Friends, the Great Commission was never designed for our concept of missionaries only. That is so foreign to the Scriptures. The Great Commission is for every child of God to go and be. You know, when we hear Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount teaching about going and being, He says... In Matthew 5, you are salt. He says, you are light. In John 15, he says, you are a friend if you keep my commandments. And here he says, you are an ambassador. Notice these things are, are not just where he's saying, I want you to go and do that as if it's a point in time once and for all. He's saying, this is what I want you to be. Be a salt to the world. Preserve the world. Be a light to the world. Be a friend to God. Keep His commandments. Be an ambassador. Will you go and be and invite others to come and see? 
I want to encourage you to be praying about Friends Day. I want to encourage you to not feel stressed about Friends Day. Only thing the Lord asks us to be is Christians that will speak to others. Make an invitation. The burden's not on you is whether or not they accept the invitation. The burden's not on you whether or not they accept the Lord. Our task is the same as it's been for almost 2,000 years. Go and be and ask others to come and see. We've thought a lot about other souls, but as we sing this song of encouragement, we need to think about our own soul. Have you become what God wants you to become? Are you a faithful child of God? Have you been baptized into Christ for the mission of sins? If not, won't you do that this morning? If you have been baptized into Christ and somewhere along the way sin has separated you from God, isn't it wonderful that God died for all? His sins, our sins can be forgiven. If you need to confess sin and pray forgiveness, if we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing.